to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Before we get into episode 6 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report, I just want to remind you about our two sponsors. Uh, we are brought to you by Fan Essentials. If you use promo code 94FEET at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials. And we're also brought to you by Daily Fantasy Nerds, so check out um, their site for some great daily fantasy tools. And quickly, just one quick announcement, um, not related to the podcast, but before we get started, but um, I would also like to announce that I've uh, gladly taken a position at Hoops Habit on Fansided to cover the NBA. Um, so you can catch all my articles. I'll probably be doing about two a week um, on Hoops Habit. So I'm really excited about that. So I wanted to announce that there. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros to get all my articles, podcasts, and just NBA thoughts in general. With that being said... We have returned. The 94 Feet Report has taken just a, a small break off for the New Year's, but we are back with episode 6 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report. And if you missed our previous episodes of Free Talk Friday, this is a really casual show. It only goes for about 30 minutes. I don't bring any advanced stats or prepared, you know, in-depth analysis to this show. It's more of a, a show where, you know, I, I try and um, kind of recreate a conversation you would have with a friend or a coworker. So you're not going to throw out advanced stats at your friend or coworkers off the top of your head, of course. Um, so that's what the Free Talk Friday is here on the 94 Feet Report. And in today's episode, we will be talking um, briefly about the Kyle Corver trade to the Cavs just for a minute or two. Then we're going to dive into the All-Star kind of situation because the first returns on, on fan voting came out and the, and the jerseys came out. Then we're going to talk about, you know, uh, the NBA being more offensive offensively focused now because Zach Lowe had a great article on ESPN today about you know the scoring boom in the NBA so we'll talk about that and then we'll conclude again with our running segment on Free Talk Friday uh, of above or below um, in which case we talk about some teams and you know I go through if I think they're playing above or below you know their actual level Um, so with that being said um, let's talk about the all-stars because if you missed it on Twitter was going it was making their rounds the NBA came out with the first return slash update on the uh, fan voting for All-Stars. Um, remember that this year, fans have only 50% of the vote, and media has 25%, and then fellow players and coaches have 25%. Unlike previous years where fans had 100% control of who starts the All-Star game, and then the uh, coaching, um, the coaches decided the, the bench. This year, it's a little bit different, and the fan, you know, the fan returns were... Um, they were pretty good, actually. I was I was thoroughly impressed with how the fans have been voting for the All Star Game so far. And uh, let me run through some of the you know like the top five. Um, so the Eastern Conference top five in the front court is LeBron James, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is a surprise, Kevin Love at three, Joel Embiid at four, and Carmelo Anthony at five. Let's talk about that for a little bit. LeBron, of course, number one is deserving, of course, of LeBron James, and he's famous, so he's going to get a lot of votes. Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak being number two, is really is really something else. Because, one, I was worried people wouldn't be able to spell his name right to be able to tweet out the, uh, you know, you have, to, you, you have to tweet the player's first and last name, then hashtag NBA vote. I was actually concerned that people wouldn't be able to spell it right. Apparently they did. Um, and apparently, you know, the Bucks are running a good campaign for him, and, and he's been running a good campaign on his own for some votes. So Giannis at being number two, first of all, he's, he's extremely deserving of being an all-star. Just hit that game winner against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. That was like a coming out moment, I think, for him. He's having a spectacular season. Um, so he deserves it. Kevin Love at three, I think is very reasonable. Kevin Love is having a really good uh, year. He's putting up those Minnesota stats with, you know, while winning with the Cavs now. So uh, a great year from Kevin Love. Joel Embiid at number four is just, I think it's funny. 
I don't think it's that crazy. I think Embiid is having a great year considering the fact that he's still on a minutes restriction on a terrible team in Philadelphia, putting up great numbers. Um, and he's been running a hilarious um, social media campaign to get votes. Of course, he has that crush on Rihanna. And uh, a couple years ago, she told him that to come back to her when he became an all-star. And now he's, you know, playing and he's he's saying, guys, you know, you believe in true love? Like, tweet me in. He tweeted Donald Trump about it. Joel Embiid has the, uh, the best go- uh, campaign for votes um, on social media. And then Carmelo Anthony, you know, I don't think he deserves it. But, you know, him at five kind of makes sense. Um you know, he's not even the best player on his team anymore. That's Kristaps Porzingis, who is uh, on se- who's seventh on the list right now. Um, but Melo has a big name, so he's going to be getting votes, of course. For the guards for the East, Kyrie Irving at number one, Dwayne Wade at number two, DeMar DeRozan at number three, Isaiah Thomas at number four, and somehow Derrick Rose at number five. Derrick Rose um, is one of two complaints I have with the fan voting so far, and we'll get to the other complaint when we move to the Western Conference. Derrick Rose being above Kyle Lowry and John Wall is is really just is unacceptable. Kyle Lowry is having a fantastic season, leading the Raptors to again a 56 win pace. Um, John Wall is while the Wizards aren't good, they have I think they have the same record as the Knicks, but um, the Wizards are struggling as a team. But John Wall's numbers are spectacular, career highs in scoring, keeping up that 10 assists per game. I mean, it's just, it's a, a shame. And of course, it's the fans, so Derrick Rose is a big name, so, you know, that's how he gets the votes. Um, and then Kemba Walker's all the way down at number nine, which again is a, is really just not okay. It really should be uh, Kyle Lowry at five, Wall at six, Kemba Walker at seven, then Derrick Rose at eight. But Derrick Rose is, is one of the biggest problems I have with the uh, fan voting as of right now. The second problem I have, uh, which we'll talk about right now when we move to the Western Conference, is that Zaza Pachulia is number two in front court voting for the Western Conference. It goes Kevin Durant, Zaza Pachulia, Kawhi Leonard at three, Anthony Davis at four, and Draymond Green at five for the front court in the Western Conference. Zaza Pachulia is second in front court in Western Conference. If you remember last year with the Mavericks, he was he was up there. He was up there in voting. I think he narrowly missed out by the fan vote to start. Um, I think he narrowly missed out to Kawhi Leonard. And I mean, it. luckily, the fans only have... Um, 50% this year because you know you know that even if he finishes number two or, or three in the front court voting from fans you know that the fellow players and the coaches and the media are just going to knock him down that list completely so there's no real reason to worry I, th- I just think it's hilarious that he's number two I think it's kind of frightening that he's number two but again this is what fans do they, they go for the big names or they go for the weirdo um, they go for that kind of under the radar you know kind of like I don't want to, like, hipster kind of voting. Um, but that's the top five for the front court in the West. And for the guards in the West, it goes Steph Curry at number one, James Harden at number two, Russell Westbrook at number three, Clay Thompson at four, and Chris Paul at five. Um, I have no problems with that at all. Interestingly enough, Eric Gordon on the Rockets has somehow snuck into into seventh right now. Um, and my first piece for Hoops Habit, which will be coming out over the weekend, um is about Eric Gordon and, and kind of the resurgence of Eric Gordon. And uh, he played a great game against the Thunder tonight. Again, I'm recording this um, Thursday night, January 5th. So uh, you'll be hearing this on January 6th. So the Rockets just beat the Thunder. Eric Gordon had another great game. He, I'm not saying he should be an all-star, but man, he should be in, at least in the conversation. It's nice to see him in the conversation. So again, these are only the first returns on the voting. So things could drastically change by the time they give us another update because I think the next update will come at the end of the voting. I think fan voting ends January 19th, I believe. That's when we find out who the starters are. Um, so, you know, you got about 
you know, two weeks left for fan voting, and then obviously the media and the players and coaches have to vote. Um, it's going to be interesting. That new dynamic of 50% for fans, 25% for players and coaches, 25% for media really changes the dynamic a little bit and will you know prevent things like Derrick Rose being ahead of Kyle Lowry and John Wall, and of course Zaza Pachulia being number two, ahead of guys like Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Draymond Green, DeMarcus Cousins, Carl Anthony Towns, Marcus Aldridge, Marcus Sewell, I mean, uh, so yeah, but so that's the first return on All-Star uh, voting so far, and the other thing I want to talk about for a minute is the All-Star jerseys, because boy, they are really bland. I mean, if you haven't seen them, basically the East is wearing a light gray, a uh, really light gray, and the West is wearing like a dark charcoal, and there's nothing on those jerseys to differentiate the conferences except a small E or W logo on the side of the shorts. That's how you're supposed to tell the difference between the conferences without looking at the colors of the jerseys. So, I think maybe they didn't have enough time to, because usually they kind of all they kind of factor in like where the All Star game is being played into the jerseys. Remember those weird. Um, New Orleans themed jerseys a couple years ago and now they moved it back to New Orleans so I, I don't think they had enough time to kind of incorporate New Orleans into the jerseys because they came out really bland and really you know just like I first saw them I was like Bleh, like no one this is not exciting this is not going to be fun to look at for the All-Star game but you know what their jerseys it's an exhibition glorified dunk contest game so really it does, the jerseys don't really make a big difference but all I'm saying is that fans this new format is good because if, if All-Star games are used in kind of Hall of Fame discussions and arguments about players, should fans really be able to vote at all for the starters? And, you know, I think that this method is good because it gives fans, you know, reason to vote and be engaged with their team, especially on social media, um, but also gives enough power to players and media to prevent fans from just going crazy and voting guys like Zaza Pachulia to be an all-star, especially an all-star starter. So I think there's still a way to balance fan engagement with, you know, the seriousness and, you know, kind of um, legitimacy and kind of um, importance of being an all-star, especially an all-star starter. So I think the NBA is still working toward that, but they're making uh, significant progress in that capacity. So that's just a little bit of a brief talk about the all-star returns. Again, this is the first return on the all-star voting. Um, Before we get into our second topic, I just want to briefly talk about Kyle Korver to the Cavs. Um, If you missed it, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski dropped a Woj bomb. Uh, on Twitter right before the Rockets Thunder game on TNT saying that the Cavs had traded for Kyle Corver. It's not official yet because the teams are still looking for a third partner to, you know, trade Mike Dunleavy to apparently he's part of the deal for some salary reasons. Um, but man, the rich are just getting richer. That's basically my, my summary of this. I mean, can you imagine Kyle Corver who's shooting 40% from three this season on a team with LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love? You can roll up a lot. Li- you can roll a lineup up of Kyrie Kyle Korver, LeBron, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. I mean, it's just another way for them to spread the floor. J.R. Smith is out for another, I think, month or two at least. Shumpert's not a good enough three-point shooter. The Cavs are just getting more three-point shooters. Um, they're just going to look to continue to spread teams out and you know just shoot shoot lights out, really. And, and Kyle Korver shooting 40% in Atlanta, who doesn't have the greatest floor spacing on their lineup. Can you imagine the open looks he's going to get in Cleveland? Uh, the rich are just getting richer, especially because I think they're only trading a first-round pick um, to Atlanta. And they're, and the more interesting thing about this trade, I think, is actually the ripple effects. You know, there were rumors previously that they were looking to trade Millsap, and then they said that they would be willing to trade Corver and Tabo Cephalosha. Now Corver's gone. 
it kind of seems that, you know, a lot of people tweeted out that the, the Hawks are actively engaged in trade talks with multiple teams. I think it was the Pelicans, Nuggets, Kings, and Raptors who were the teams that were seriously interested in Millsap. We'll see who can package the best deal for him, but the ripple effects of these moves are going to be significant. You trade Corver to the Cavs, maybe they trade Millsap to the Raptors, maybe Cephalosha to a team like the Rockets who could use another wing off the bench. These are these are the, the, the Hawks and the trades they make over the next week or two are going to significantly impact the NBA going forward, especially the playoffs. So watch out for the Hawks. They could be seriously unloading some serious trade pieces over the next week or two um, and significantly change the landscape of the NBA. So just want to talk about that Kyle Corver trade for just a little bit. Um, and now I want to move into our second topic, which we'll spend the majority of time on today. Um, and that is this kind of offensive, this newly offensively focused NBA. Is, is it better this way is, is really the question I have because Zach Lowe wrote an article titled, quote, is the NBA scoring explosion too hot or just right? And in it, he talks about, you know, we've got the rise of scoring, the rise of offense in the NBA, um, this kind of offensive boom that's going on in the NBA right now. And is it, is it good for the NBA, really, is, is the real question that a lot of analysts and fans are really kind of trying to, to wrestle with, really, because, you know, on the one hand, casual fans love offense, right? In any sport, casual fans love shootouts for the most part. There are some people um, who just love great defensive games, but there are the majority of casual fans, I would say, love shootouts and offensively focused games. Um, but then there are those, you know, traditionalists and critics that have concerns about this new offensive boom in the NBA, and particularly the fact that the offensive boom is, boom is being led by the increase in three-pointers attempted and made, of course. So this season, 31% of shots in the NBA basically come from come from deep. They come from three-point land. That's in comparison to 28.5% last season. That's almost a 3% difference overall as a league, which is very significant. We know the Rockets are on pace to set records for made and and uh, three-pointers attempted. Um, Eric Gordon's leading the league in threes. They've got four guys. They've got three guys, I think, in the top 10 of, of three-pointers made, and they're one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. The Raptors don't shoot a lot of threes, but they are also one of the best offenses in the NBA. The Warriors, of course, shoot a lot of threes. The Cavs, of course, shoot a lot of threes, so... The, the, the question that critics and analysts have and the concerns they have really is that, you know, do we really want to watch games? And there have been games. Remember that Rockets-Warriors game um, in Oakland, uh, December 1st? I think both teams combined for over 83 pointers attempted. Now, that was a double overtime game, but, but still, I mean, they were at like a good 70 attempts by the end of regulation. So there are concerns from critics, traditionalists, guys basically like Charles Barkley who just don't like watching teams jack up three-pointers and this is a lot of a lot of people a lot of casual fans love offense but they don't like the offense that's been that's being played with these heavy three-point attempts um, and heavy reliance on three-point shots because I'll tell you this I am a Rockets fan I watch all the games when the Rockets are on from you know when the Rockets are shooting well and getting good looks from three and hitting those shots they are one of the most fun teams to watch in the NBA but you have to say this, and there have been, I'd say, you know, a good five to six games this season where the Rockets will go stretches where they will play some of the ugliest basketball you will see in a season. When they are not hitting their shots, they will continue to take them, usually. Most of the time, they'll continue to take them because they just, you know, they're going to break out of their slump. Or sometimes they will just, just get, you know, kind of like deer in the headlights and not know what to do, you know, whether to keep chucking from three, trying something else. But, but the problem is that they're so used to relying on threes that they're not comfortable trying other, you know, kind of offensive game plans besides pick and roll, driving to the rim for alley-oops, or kicking out the threes. 
they don't play they don't play in the mid range, and you know that's obviously the analytics have told them that it's very very inefficient to shoot the majority of mid range shots. So they're not comfortable that way. But I'll say this: when the Rockets are not hitting their shots, it's really hard to watch. And that's what a lot of critics and analysts will say. Well, listen, hey, do you really want to watch teams that are not shooting well? You you really want to watch them shoot? Uh, you know, take 83s in a game. A lot of people say, no, I don't want to watch that. I rather watch. You know, I rather see mid range jumpers that are going in at least. Um, and so that that's the question: is is it better for the NBA? This kind of offensively focused NBA, especially this offensive boom that's been led by the increase in three pointers attempted. That's the real question. Because if I asked a, a casual fan. Is is the uh, is this offensive boom in the NBA a good thing for the NBA? Of course, like what eighty to ninety percent would say, yeah. But then I throw on that other wrinkle: is this offensive boom um, led by an increase in three pointers attempted good for the NBA? And then I think it'd probably be fifty to sixty percent that would say, yeah, it's still good for the NBA because a lot of people don't like watching teams jack up threes. So I mean, it really depends on who you are as a fan and analyst. You know, I love three pointers. I think. I, I love three-pointers more than I love, you know, dunks and alley-oops. I really do. I think three-pointers are exciting. I think it's very in, in, just important for a team to be a good three-point shooting team because, listen, if they're a good three-point shooting team, like the Rockets tonight against the Thunder, they were down by 14. They hit, like, two to three threes, made two to three stops, and next thing you know, they're down by three or four, and then the next thing you know, they're leading by 14 because of their three-point shooting. So I think it's important for teams to have decent to good three-point shooting. And I just think it's fun. And I love three-pointers. I think I abnormally love three-pointers. I would I would seriously say that I abnormally love three-pointers. But um, uh, I, for one, and there are a lot of people who enjoy it, like like myself, you know, that, that like three-pointers attempted. Uh, Rockets fans really probably, I, I would say, if you're a Rocket fan and don't appreciate the three-pointer right now, then you're missing out on watching a really fun team. But there are still a lot of analysts, a lot of fans, a lot of critics who just say, you know, I'm not here to watch teams Ch- uh, you know, chuck up 83-point attempts in a game. I'm here to watch traditional basketball, driving to the rim, hitting open shots, taking open shots. You know, people saying, you know, I'm not here to watch a team of purposely avoid the mid-range. I'm here to watch a team just play fundamental traditional basketball. So, and there are still teams that do that, of course. The Raptors are a good example. They have a great historic, they had it, they were on a historical pace off- offensively um, and did and do not take a lot of threes. They're their best scorer is DeMar DeRozan, I would say, and he does not take threes. He takes a very limited amount of threes. So I think there are just, just enough teams that do that play different styles of basketball for every fan to enjoy. Um, but it is clear that there's a serious trend going for the three-pointers. Again, almost a 3% increase in three-pointers attempted overall as a league this season. And you know this increase in three-pointers attempted is leading the offensive boom in the NBA. And I, for one, think it's better for the NBA. Um, I, that's mainly because I enjoy it more. Um, but there will always be critics and analysts and media members and fans who just do not enjoy three-point shooting um, being the, the kind of focal point of an offense. And for them, that's okay. There are other teams that don't do that. So in my opinion, I think it's better for the NBA that teams are moving. The league is moving to more three-point shooting. I think it's a very important way. It's a very good way for a team to come back in a game that they're not playing very well. They all have to do is hit a couple of threes, and the next thing you know, they can cut the deficit by 10 right there. Um, and I think it's really exciting. So for me, I'm going to say, yes, it is better for the NBA. This 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 newly offensively focused NBA, I think, is more enjoyable and better uh, for the league as a whole, especially as it grows with more casual fans and tries to attract more fans overall. So just a little bit talk 
um, you know, kind of sparked by Zach Lowe's really great article on ESPN, if you haven't checked it out, um, basically about this new offensive boom and, and it being led by threes and stuff like that. So in just a moment, we will get to our running segment of Above or Below. Before we get into a Today's edition of Above or Below on the 94 Feet Report, I want to remind you we are brought to you by Fan Essentials. If you go on fanessentials.net, you can choose your favorite league and then choose your favorite team within that league. So NBA, NFL, MLS, NHL, MLB, etc. Choose your favorite team. Choose your subscription size package, small, medium, or large. Um, and then you know put your address in and each month you will get a box of your favorite team's gear shipped right to your door. I've tried it for the Rockets. They give really great, unique gear. Um, I'm still using the winter hat I've got for them because I'm in the Northeast and it is winter time up here. And uh, they, they give really cool gear that you really can't buy at like the NBA store and stuff like that. Just unique kind of local gear. Check it out for your favorite team. Again, use promo code 94FEET, all caps, at checkout for 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials. So if you missed any of our previous episodes of Free Talk Friday, Above and Below is basically a game where I go through a a number of teams um, in both conferences and kind of give my take on if I think the team is playing above or below their actual level. Um, And so we do this basically every episode of Free Talk Friday, just like a nice way to cap off the week. So I don't dive into too much detail, but just give my opinion on a couple of teams each week from each conference. Let's start off this edition of Above or Below by talking about the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors are right at my expectations, and basically, I think at the you know the the accurate, you know proper level for the Raptors, um, they're on a 56 win pace. Win pace, excuse me. Um, after tonight's uh, really good win against the Jazz at home, um, basically, they, I think they won 56 games last season. So you know they're right at that same pace as last season. DeRozan's been still playing well. Lowry's having a fantastic season, and I think is becoming increasingly underrated. If they could somehow swing that trade for Millsap, that would change things significantly. I don't think it changes enough things for them to beat the Cavs, but it changes things where you at least hesitate to just confidently put the Cavs over the Raptors in in like five or six games in a series because I think Millsap could win a game on his own. So if they can swing that deal, that's huge for the Raptors. But they're right at the level I basically expected them to be and right at the level of, you know, I don't think they're playing above their level. I think they're right at that 56 55 to 57 win pace is basically where they should be, and that's where they are right now. So the Raptors are at the level I expected and and believe they actually truly are as a team. The next team, right below the Raptors, the Boston Celtics. They're on a 49 win win pace right as of right now, this recording January 5th, and that's a little bit below the level I think they actually are and the level I expected of them. Coming into the season, I probably jumped on the Celtics, you know, bandwagon a little bit too quickly, and I put them. I thought they would be the second seed in the East. It's becoming increasingly clear that they're not going to end up being the second seed in the East, unless something significant happens. Um, but at a forty-nine win piece, win pace, I think the Celtics won forty-eight or forty-six games last season. I expected the Celtics to win about fifty-two to fifty-three this season with the addition of Al Horford. Now they had some injuries to start the season that kind of got them on a slow start. They still aren't winning those games that you want to see them winning against, you know, the real true contenders, the Cavs, the Raptors, the the uh, Rockets, Warriors, Spurs kind of group right there. Um, and that 49 win pace is just a little bit below the level I expected and also the level I think that this team is. And, you know, maybe they could somehow swing a trade for Millsap, reunite him with Horford in that front court Boston. They'd certainly have the assets to make a trade. 
and they've got to make a trade. I think that the Celtics team really should make a trade because they have so many assets that they just can they they don't have to really you know uh, make bare in their their kind of asset cupboard for for you know metaphorically speaking. Um, they have so many assets they can just use a couple of them to trade for a guy who can make a serious difference for them and probably win them a playoff series or two. So again, the Celtics are a little bit below the actual level I expected and the level I actually think this team is when it's playing at its best because they're only on a 49 win pace maybe they turn it around um, I haven't looked at their schedule maybe their schedule softens up a little bit um, but yeah the Celtics are uh, just a little bit below their actual level in my opinion the third team again we have uh, we're going to talk about six teams today and I've got four from the east and two from the west the third team is another eastern conference team it's the Charlotte Hornets um, they just had a, a, a somewhat disappointing loss to the Pistons and someone tweeted out you know for every step the Hornets take forward they take 0.75 steps back because again they're just I wasn't expecting a lot of things from the Hornets I was expecting them to be a comfortable playoff team around that same 44 to 46 win range of last season or I think they won 47 or 48 last season but I was expecting them to either drop off by a game or two um, because they lost Jeremy Lin they lost uh was it Courtney Lee they lost um who else did they lose um, yeah, yeah, I can't remember the other guy. That, oh, Al, uh, Al Jefferson, that's who it is. Um, so I was expecting them to take a little bit of a step back. They're they're not playing that well. It, exactly. That tweet sums up their season so far. They take one step forward with a good win, and then they take .75 steps back with, with not a terrible loss, but a, a game they should win if they're trying to be a, a real, you know, true Eastern Conference elite. Um, and so, you know, Kemba Walker's having a fantastic season. He's going to be an all-star, hopefully, um, if he's properly recognized and, you know, I think the Hornets are a little bit below the level I actually expected them to be, and I think that they're certainly, you know, actually, no, they're at the level I expected them to be coming into the season, but I think that they're actually a little bit below their actual level of a team when they're playing at their best. So for the, you know, the, the Hornets are kind of on the the cusp of being a little bit below the level, um, but also at the same time, basically at the level I expected from the Hornets going into the season. So Hornets are a difficult team to figure out. I think the next month before the trade deadline and all-star break will really define this Hornets team. So we'll see. We'll have to keep an eye on the Hornets. The fourth team is the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, another team from the East. And they're playing a little bit above the level I expected and I think a little bit above the team's level. Um, And I say this mainly because they're playing without Chris Middleton, of course, who has that, I think it was a torn quadricep, who, uh, who says he might be able to be able to return shortly after the all-star break which would be huge for the bucks because he's basically the only good shooter they have on that team and he's a competent defender and you know plug him into what we know Giannis is having a great season we already talked about him earlier Jabari Parker's having a really really good season but you plug in Middleton alongside those two you've got a nice core it's pretty young I think Middleton's the oldest at 26 um and so you get you get more shooting for the Bucks, which is really what they need. You don't sacrifice any defense. Um, again, Greg Monroe has been good for the Bucks. He should be getting more playing time, and I'm not saying that only because he's on one of my fantasy teams. I'm saying because he's a good player. Um, so maybe they can play Monroe better. Uh, um, play Monroe more, excuse me, because Monroe's been playing better than expected. But I think mainly because they're playing without Chris Middleton, who's arguably their second or third best player uh, on the team, and uh, they're still I think two games over. They're playing better as of late. Um, they've won a couple games in a row. I think the Bucks are playing a little bit above the level I expected coming in, and I think a little, playing a little bit above the actual level of the team. Though I think they're kind of closer to at the same level. The final teams, the final two teams are from the West. First, my favorite team, the Houston Rockets. They're playing above the level I expected. I mean, maybe they're. I, I, I mean, no one, no one expected this. The, the, the team is on a 62 win pace. 
I mean, I know this is a podcast, but raise your hand if you expected the Rockets to win 62 games this season. In fact, no, raise your hand if you expected the Rockets to win more than 55 games this season. Barring a significant setback, and they're already dealing with they're dealing with the Clint Capella injury going 7-2 and two since he's gone out. Barring another significant setback, the Rockets are going to win more than 56 games this season. And no one expected that, so they're playing above um, the expectations there. They've suffered injuries to Patrick Beverly, who's missed more than 10 games. Clint Capella's going to miss almost 20 games, probably. Um, so they've already had some kind of injuries, and they've stayed pretty lucky without Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon getting injured, but the Rockets are playing at above the level I expected and the above level everyone expected. And the final team are the Jazz, who are playing right at the level I expected and right at the level I think this team is this team's true level is they're basically they're at a 50 win pace right now and they've dealt with some significant injuries george hill Derek favors gordon hayward alec burks has been injured um they've dealt with so many injuries and yet they're still at a 50 win pace i thought coming into the season they would be a 51 team and a top five seed in the, in the west that's still seriously in play so for those reasons i think they're playing right at the level i expected and right at the level i think this team truly is so those are just the six teams we'll cover in today's edition of, of Above or Below on the 94 Feet Report. Again, it's a running segment we do on Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report. And with that being said, that will conclude Episode 6 of Free Talk Friday. Again, I want to remind you, I'm your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. Follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros, for information and updates on the podcast. And then to check out my other work for The Dream Shake, um, now on Hoops Habit as well, um, and NBA Lead. Um, again, check out all of our previous episodes on iTunes and Stitcher and, of course, our Blog Talk radio page. And, of course, check out our sponsors, Fan Essentials and Daily Fantasy Nerds. So, once again, this is Episode 6 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report. I'm your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. I hope you guys have a great weekend of watching NBA basketball. And we will be back with our more traditional hour-long basketball report on Monday. Take care. Have a great weekend enjoying NBA basketball, guys. Take care.